is, is good to be here um, under maybe different circumstances, um, but it is good to be here. For those who don't know me, I'm Pastor John. I'm a pastor at Edgewood Bible Church. Uh, I do student ministry there, and so uh, if I the opportunity to preach, I enjoy it. So it's a, to me, it's a blessing to come here. And one thing that I love about your, I love about your guys' church is you guys love to sing. Uh, I think that's, yeah, amen. It is a, it is a blessing to come, just hearing you guys sing, and then, but also it's behind me, and that's what, that's so encouraging to hear. Um, you know, some time ago, I uh, came across this question. Actually, I was, I have a confession, I'm kind of a nerd a little bit. Um, I'm looking at the names back there, it's I am, mine would be nerd probably back there. Um, <laughs> Um, I, when I work out, I, I listen to uh, music, uh, but most time I listen to, mu- to I listen to, to sermons. I just think it's fantastic. <laughs> and so I was listening to the sermon by Howard Hendricks, uh, and um, as he was preaching, I'm working out. I don't know what I was doing. Uh, I think I was running. And I just stop in the middle of the of the of the of like the indoor track at the YMCA in the fast lane. I'm listening to what he's asking, and I'm like, oh, I get my iPhone out, and I'm like, re- rewinding it, listening to it again. I'm like, this is really good. He asked this question. This is the question right here. Uh, next time you get an opportunity, and maybe it's a coworker, a friend, a neighbor, or a relative who is a stranger to Jesus Christ, I want you to ask yourself this question. What's the difference between my lifestyle and theirs? What's the difference between my lifestyle and, their, and theirs? And he continues on and he says, is the difference that you go to church and they don't? Is the difference that you pray before your meal and they just plow in? Is the difference that you don't drink and they do? Is it only an outward difference or is it an inward difference? At the same time, I was reading a book by uh, Francis Chan and he said this. I think God was trying to get my attention during the season of my life. Back when I was in Bible college, a professor asked our class, what are you doing right now that requires faith? What are you doing right now that requires faith? The question, that question affected me deeply because at the time, I couldn't think of anything in my life that required faith. I probably wouldn't be living very differently if I didn't believe in God. My life was neither ordered nor affected by my faith like I assumed it was. What these two individuals are getting at is the fact that our lives must revolve around faith. In the Bible, in the Old Testament, Habakkuk 2.4, and in the New Testament, Romans 1.17 and Galatians 3.11, all state the righteous shall live by faith. Faith always involves obeying in God's word. Faith can be defined this way. So if you're taking notes, you can jot this one down. Obeying God in spite of feelings, circumstances, or consequences. Obeying God in spite of feelings, circumstances, or consequences. But how do we take God at his word when the circumstances of life seem more real 
than what he says. Um, what do you do? How do you respond? So what I want to do this morning is I want us to look at a man who is controlled more by his own circumstances um, than by God. The man I want us to look at is Gideon. Now, a lot of times when we think of people in the Bible, for some strange reason, and I'll be honest, we make the same assumptions with people in the church or pastors, uh, as we, we put them on a separate pedestal. Uh, in the sense of they are a superhuman or super spiritual people. I remember a number of years ago, I had an opportunity to meet one of my heroes, a man who I looked up to, who I admire. I thought he was just amazing. And apparently he wasn't that famous because the line was only like three people. But to me, it was huge, okay? Um, so I'm sitting there just like excited. I'm like, I could just shake his hand. Gonna put in a bag, you're not gonna wash it. I'm gonna hold on to it. So excited. But I finally get there, I shake his hand, and he asks me my name, and I'm like, well, my name's Johnny. And the conversation only lasted for about 20 to 30 seconds. But that 20 to 30 seconds changed everything. Because when I realized, well, he's just like me. Yeah, a little taller, but he breathes. Air, I breathe air. Eats food, I eat food. I realize he's not that much different than me, really. So in that brief second, my whole reality was just crushed. But yeah, I think we do, and I know I do at times, with people in the Bible, we put these expectations that, wow, Gideon, and he is spiritual. He leads an army of 300 men. Yeah, but what we find is something a little different. That, you know, Gideon is a little more like us than we wish to be. So I want to ask this question. How do we take God at his word when those circumstances of life seem more real? So if you have a copy of God's word, I invite you to turn to the book of Judges, uh, chapter 6. As you guys are turning there, uh, the writer of Judges... In chapter 21, verse 5, this is a good job of summing up what was going on in the nation of Israel at that time. In fact, it's really a a sad commentary about the state of God's chosen people. This is what he says in Judges 21, 25. Just listen to this. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And the way you listen to that, it kind of sounds like today. People doing whatever they want to do. People believing whatever they want to believe. But the writer of Judges is not simply talking about an absence of an earthly king or a physical, or a physical government. He's really talking about the depth of their apostasy, their rebellion, their rejection of God. And in Judges 6, the same theme is played out. But before we look at Judges 6, let's pray. Let's ask for help. Lord, we come to you this morning eager to hear your word, eager to hear the truths that are in it. Lord, I pray that as I teach, as I speak, that, Lord, you would speak through me. That I would be able to speak clearly and speak slowly. Lord, I pray that you'd be honored and glorified. 
that we'd be encouraged by your word, that we'd be encouraged about what you did in the life of Gideon. We thank you for who you are. Amen. So Judges 6, let's do verses 1 through 6, kind of give a little background, a little bit of what's taking place in Israel at this time before we get to um, Gideon. So verse 1, the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian seven years, and the hand of Midian overpowered Israel. And because of Midian, the people of Israel made for themselves the dens that are in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds. For whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. They would encamp against them and devour the produce of the land as far as Gaza and leave no substance in the land and no sheep or ox or donkey, for they would come up with their livestock and their tents, and they would come like locusts in number. Both they and their camels could not be counted, so they laid waste the land as they came in. And Israel was brought very low because of Midian. And the people of Israel cried out for help to the Lord. Notice this. Even in the midst of their rebellion, in the midst of their rejection of God, God never left them. Yes, they're starving. Yes, they're living in caves. Yes, they are fearful, but God never left them. You look at this. It says, the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian. See, this was the Lord who did this. This was not an oversight on on God. God did not fall asleep at the wheel. No, this is purposely done. This is divinely done. See, don't miss that because God is after something here that is very precious to him. He's after their hearts. He is after their hearts. And this is true in our lives too. God uses situations, circumstances to mold us, to shape us into his image I'm reminded of what the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. God does not promise here in in this Romans passage that our lives are going to be joyful 100% of the time. He doesn't promise that. But what he does promise here that everything that happens in our lives is for our good. Because God is always in control. Even in the midst of chaos, he is still working. We continue down to verse 7 in Judges 6. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord on the account of the Midianites. And the Lord sent a prophet to the people of Israel. Israel cries out. They pray for help. They pray for deliverance, and God answers. He listens to their prayers, and he gives them an answer, but maybe not what they were expecting. They might have been expecting a warrior, a host of angels. God sends them a prophet. God sends them a spokesman, a mouthpiece for him. You can imagine this scene. People are praying. They're hungry. They're fearful. And all of a sudden, a prophet shows up. It'd be like if I was 
driving, and someone illustrated this way, and I forget where I got it from, but um, if I was driving in the middle of nowhere, and all of a sudden, I ran out of gas. Pull out my phone, call a tow truck driver, hey, I'm out of gas, Can send me some help. Hour later, tow truck doesn't show up, but a car. This isn't a car with a gas can in it, but it's a philosopher telling me everything that's wrong with my car. That's not helpful. I need, it's like, I know what I need. Why are you giving it to me? See, what God is saying to the people of Israel, your problem is much deeper than your need for deliverance. Your problem is a heart one. You know, God does the same thing today. Uh, Dale Davis writes, sometimes we may need understanding more than relief. Sometimes God must give us insight before he dares grant safety. God's ways of holiness is more important than our absence of pain. God's ways of holiness is more important than our absence of pain. You know, some time ago I was, uh, I was talking with someone and they were kind of sharing with me some of their... Um, some things that were going on in their life at the time, some health issues going on, and they were sharing with me how the, really the doctors really didn't know exactly what was causing it. But the doctors do know that if they can't fix it, then there's some repercussions that can't be fixed. So as they were sharing this with me, they, they said something to me that just blew me out of the water. I was like, here's a situation you've been, you've been diagnosed with, and they don't know how to, how to help you. And this is what they said to me that I just... This is what they said. God, bring, God brings us to these situations to unpeel us from the things of this earth. God brings us to these situations to unpeel us from the things of this earth. That could be people, that could be finances, that could be anything to help us unpeel, to help us realize how we are living. And that's why the, the, this prophet's message is so important because Israel forgot who God was. Israel forgot that he was the one that provides all things. And that's our first principle in overcoming our circumstances is being reminded of who God is. Being reminded of who God is. Listen to what the prophet says in verse 8. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I led you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of slavery. And I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. See, they forgot that they were bought out of slavery. They forgot that God was the one who redeemed them from Egypt. That God was the one who did this. It was not their doing. It wasn't Moses and his persuasive speech that made Pharaoh say, okay, no, it was God who's the one who was working, who was doing all this. You know, we do the very same thing. 
when our lives are controlled by our circumstances. We forget that God is bigger than our circumstances. We forget everything that we have comes from the very hand of God. Romans eleven thirty six says, For from him and through him and to him are all things. That means everything that happens in our lives, God has permitted for a reason. I like what Jerry Bridges says. Uh, There's no such thing as a self-made person. From a human point of view, that person may appear to have succeeded by talent or hard work, but who gave him those qualities? God. See, we need to be mindful. We need to remember that no matter the circumstances, God is still in control. That God is the one who's still working. So now that so with that in mind, now let's move to Gideon. We we know what's taking place in Israel, but now let's see how does what does God do to help Israel now? So verses eleven. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth of Orpha, which belongs to Joash the Azburite. While his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the wine press to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. You know, every time I read this encounter that um, the angel of the Lord has with Gideon, I find it kind of comical. Now we have Gideon here, okay? Gideon is beating wheat in a wine press. Now most of us are probably thinking, What's the big deal with that? Paul Tripp kind of gives us a little insight to explain why this is ridiculous. To thresh wheat, that's the process of getting rid of the the plant from the the grain. To thresh wheat, you need wind. You don't need to be a meteorologist to know that wind occurs outdoors. And where is Gideon? Inside a wine press. There's a good possibility that he's actually inside a cave that's been turned into a wine press. It's a picture of futility. Gideon can't successfully do what he's doing from inside a wine press. And this is God's mighty warrior. Not controlled uh, by by bravery, but more he's controlled by fear. He's, He's hiding in a wine press in a cave, beating wheat so that his enemy doesn't see him. This is not the man who stands up with 300 men in the battle. See, his circumstances are dictating how he lives, not God and not his faith. And I wonder how many of us, we go about our lives living in caves where we, we are, we're fearful, we are uh, concerned about what other people think of us. We're, we're concerned about the unknown. Where, where those fears dictate how we live, not God and not his word. When we look at our, our limitations, our, our, our weaknesses, more than what God says. You know, as Gideon hears these words from the angel, oh, 
oh, mighty man of valor, Gideon starts to reason really what he does. He starts to argue with the angel. This is what he says in verse 13. Please, sir, the Lord is with us. Why then has all this happened to us? And where are all of his wonderful deeds that our father recounted to us? Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. Gideon, Gideon responds to this angel and says, I don't see how this is possible. I know the stories of old. I know what's taken place in the past. I know how God has brought us up from Egypt. I know these things. But where's God now? Where is God's faithfulness now? See, what Gideon does here is he rejects the truth. He says, I don't see how this is possible. I don't see how God cares for us anymore. Look what Gideon says. He says, please, sir, if the Lord is with us. This is the word Lord is in all caps. It's the Hebrew word for Yahweh. We mean the covenant-keeping God. And, and Gideon addresses God in this, in, this, in this way, but he doesn't believe it. He doesn't believe that this is the God that keeps promises. This is the God who keeps covenants. I wonder how many of us, you know, we, 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 we talk one way, but yet our actions respond differently. Um, for some strange reason, I'm guilty of this. Occasionally, as my wife, she'll probably tell you I'm guilty of all the time. But uh, for some strange reason, when we get into a car, our personalities change a little bit. <laughs> um, for some of us, we use that little the button on the wheel that makes a loud noise as a, a horn, as a way of get out of my way. <laughs> or like yesterday, it was raining and I wanted to get somewhere. And there was a car going like two miles an hour under the speed limit. I'm like, let's go faster. <laughs> but for some strange reason, our driving habits, they don't reflect what we believe. They don't always reflect what I believe. I wonder how many people have been turned off by Christianity simply because they watch their friends or their family members live their lives and they say, well, that doesn't look any different. Why would I want that? And the angel responds to Gideon. He says, go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you? Gideon, you're not getting this. I've given you everything you need. Go and do it. Well, Gideon isn't, Gideon isn't quite done here. <laughs> He's not quite done arguing. He moves from what he sees as God's failures to really his own failures. Listen to this. Please, sir, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in, Man- in Manasseh, and I am the weakest in my father's house. Simply, I'm a nobody. My family's a nobody. How can God use a nobody? Gideon is trying to, he's trying to build his case before this, this angel. It's not working. It's not working at all. I remember when I was in high school. Um, I was a junior, I was entering my junior year in high school. I went to Pialp High School. 
And uh, the Lord placed this desire in my heart to do a Bible study, to start this Bible club in my high school. And I'm thinking, God, really? You can't go find someone else who goes to my school? But he placed this desire in my heart, and, and the more I thought about it, the more I'm like, God, I can't do this, I can't read, I can't write, I can't speak, I mumble, I stutter, I slur, I'm horrible. Get someone else to do this. So I did what any good Christian would do. They, I prayed about it. And uh, I said, Lord, if this is of you, I don't keep this desire, but if it's not, remove it. Thinking, well, God is going to remove it. A couple of months, about two months passed, and what do you know? This, this desire just went away. So I'm thinking, well, problem solved. Don't do it anymore. <laughs> about December rolls around. This exact same desire just comes back, but it's intense. I finally say, fine, God, I'll do this. But if one thing fails, <laughs> this is really good. <laughs> one thing goes wrong, I'm out, I'm done. I'm not doing this. So, you know, I talk to my friends, I talk to people at church, I, I, I talk to a teacher because I need an advisor, I, I talk to an assistant principal. Every single person said, that's a great idea. <laughs> I might have thinking, really? One person could just say, maybe you shouldn't do that. But as I was filling out the paperwork to start this, 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 this club, this organization, it said, you need to have a vice president. I'm like, okay, God, you are going to find me a vice president. I, and I was like, Lord, if you don't find me one, I'm not going to do it, kind of thing. So I prayed about it, thinking, well, he's not going to find one for me. Well, about a week later, after lunch, I walk into all my classes, and I hear my name called. Now, I went to a school of 1,600 people, so there's a lot of Johns. So I hear my name, John, John, and I'm like, who is this person? It's a voice I don't really remember. I look around, you know, and it's someone I used to do a Bible study fellowship with a number of years prior. And I, we introduced, just kind of passing now to go to my class. As I'm walking away, I'm thinking, well, why don't you ask them to be your vice president? Now, this is like March of the year. I haven't seen this person the entire year at school. So my thinking is, well, I'm never going to see him again. Sure, next time I see him. <laughs> well, you know how it works. Next week, with some friends at uh, the fine establishment of Taco Bell for lunch, because high schoolers eat fast food, and um, get in line, and all of a sudden, this person at Taco Bell. And so we have some more time. We talk. We catch up on life a little bit. And they start sharing that there's this, that they want to start this prayer club, this Bible study. I'm looking at them like, what planet are you from? Because <laughs> that's what I've been working on the entire time. I tell them, well, I've already done all the paperwork. <laughs> so the next year, we led this, uh, uh, this Bible club together. And eight years later, I married her. So worked out pretty well there. But, you know, all this to say, uh, all this to say is no matter how well we make our case before God, why we can't do something. I made my case pretty clear. Yet God said, I'm still going to use you. You Like Gideon and like us today, we forget this one simple truth. And this morning, this is the second thing I want us to remember. I want us to understand. I want us to put in practice. Because this simple truth has 
life-changing ramifications. It will, change the, it will change the way you live. It will change your work. It will change your school. It will change your family. It will change everything about you. And this is what the angel says to Gideon. And he's saying to us who are in Christ this morning, in verse 16, but I will be with you. I will be with you. And this simple truth caused Gideon to stop everything that he was doing. He stopped his arguing because that was enough. That should be enough for us. I like how uh, Dale Davis words this. Basically, God has nothing else or more to offer you. You can go through a lot with that promise. It does not answer your questions about the details. It only provides the essentials. Nothing about when or how or where or why. Only the what or better the who. I will be with you and that is enough. See, what Gideon was doing was he was looking at his own inadequacies. He was looking at his own limitations. His own abilities. God doesn't do that. God doesn't do that with us either. See, God sees our failures, our weaknesses, not as liabilities. He sees them as assets. Because that forces us, that forces me this morning to walk by faith. And that he gets all the glory. He gets all the praise. We don't just see this in the book of Judges. We see this in the book of Joshua. Joshua chapter 1. When Moses, uh, when Moses dies, his second in command, uh, Joshua, God speaks to him in Joshua chapter 1 verse 2. He says, my Moses, my, Moses, my servant is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them and the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you. Just as I promised to Moses, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. God is reminding Joshua that you are going to enter the land, this promised land that I have promised to Moses, that I have promised to, 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 the, to the nation of Israel. I'm going to give it to them. Not because of your strength or your wise ability. I'm giving it to them because I am giving it to them. Joshua, don't be fearful. We see the same thing in the New Testament too. Uh, in Matthew 28, uh, verse 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you. Always, to the end of the age. And I like how MacArthur uh, phrases this. I myself, your divine, resurrected, living, eternal Lord, am with you always, even to the end of the age. 
See, no matter where we go, no matter what we do, God is with us. So if we are still living in caves, we should have the boldness, we should have the encouragement to walk out into the light. Because our king, our ruler, our God is with us. We should not uh, fear circumstances. We should not fear people. We should not fear the unknown because I am with you. See, there's our hope. And there's our confidence. Not in ourselves, not in other people, but in God and God alone. So just as Gideon was reminded of the truth, we should be storing up truth for ourselves. Let me close this one last illustration. Um, in 1999, uh, I was in sixth grade. Don't you know that? <laughs> in 1999, um, there was this this fear that January 1st, 2000, all of a sudden, the whole world being chaos. That because the theory was that the computers, when they turned over their clocks, they would just I don't know what they would do. They would blow up. They would just not work anymore. The problem was, like now, um, everything was run on computers. So they thought, well, water's not going to work. Power's not going to work. Nothing's going to work. So there's chaos taking place. And so what people were doing were they were storing up things, which is a perfect illustration of what it really means to store up truth. Because we're not always going to have seasons in life that are going uh, to be hard or painful. We're going to have seasons of life that are going to be a little easier. And those are the seasons of life that we need to store up truth. We need to store up God's word. We need to memorize. We need to commit uh, hope passages. Passages that encourage our hearts. Because when uh, those circumstances start pushing our heart towards doubt, towards fear, we need to call and remind ourselves of what God's word says. Uh, and not just be reminded about it, but put into practice. Because that is how we overcome our circumstances. So with that, let's pray. Lord, thank you for who you are. Lord, we thank you that you are, <laughs> you are Yahweh, the covenant-keeping God. You are the God that <laughs> makes promises and keeps them. What a joy, what a delight that is to know that we can trust you. Or it's not because of how great we are, but it's because how great you are. And you choose to, to use us, even in our weaknesses, for your glory. Help us to be like Gideon. Help us to, to see past our own failures, our own weaknesses, and that we'd be reminded that you are with us that you are the one that gives us strength. You are the one that gives us the ability to do it, not ourselves. I know in my own heart at times, I feel like I can do it on my own, but Lord, I, I can't. I know I can't. Lord, I thank you for, for people like Gideon in the Bible who, who aren't perfect. Who's a reminder that, Lord, you don't use perfect people. You use people in their, in their flaws for your glory.
Lord, we love you. Amen.